we just thought it's Father's Day and he had a really cool shirt on, so we'd both get up here. Hey, we're in part three of our series, Unoffendable, today, and we've been uh, spinning off of a book by the same title, Unoffendable, and lots of you picked it up. Awesome book, top 10, I probably read at least in the last three or four years. Read it twice, that's how much I got out of it. And today, uh, I'm gonna remind you what we said each week uh, uh, for about two seconds. We said you can choose to be unoffendable. The big idea, the crazy idea, is that you can actually choose to make a decision, to be an adult, to be Christ-like, to not get angry when somebody says something or does something mean, vile, vicious, and ugly against you. That we can choose to be unoffendable. And we talked about that. We've met a couple different ways so far. Today, we're gonna talk about uh, taking offense or finding offense with Jesus. If you've read the book, this chapter's not in there. Could have been, should have been, it's not in there. But a lot of people are offended by Jesus. So we're gonna be in John chapter three. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, open up to uh, John, the third chapter, and we'll get there in just a minute. Next week, we wrap up this series. Part four and the grand finale is next Sunday, and I'll be talking about the secret sauce uh, and the benefits of being unoffendable. So it's gonna be a really uh, important kind of closer to this series. I encourage you to come back. In John 3, we're gonna take a look at a guy named Nicodemus and a little bit of his experience uh, and this conversation that he had with Jesus. And what I hope you'll see is that he had all sorts of potential to be very offended with Jesus. The stuff Jesus said to this guy was way over the line as far as every good religious Jew considered uh, it to be over the line. And yet, Nicodemus listened. You know, people get offended by our faith. If you've walked with Jesus for more than about a month or a week, you've probably already run into someone who doesn't think it's cool that you're a Christ follower. Uh, maybe you recently gave your life to Jesus here and you went home and said, hey, I became a Christ follower and you told your spouse or your kids or your parents, I'm, gonna, I'm walking with Jesus now and I'm gonna get baptized in water. And they go, well, that's just stupid. Why would you do that? You know, don't you know religion? They, there are people offended by the fact that we follow Jesus. It's been true from the very beginning uh, for all Christ followers and some had been literally persecuted to the point of, of death and for their uh, love of Christ. But it's a reality that we have to deal with, that some people are offended by our faith. At my very first job, I was 16 years old, turned a week, a uh, week after my 16th birthday, and my dad came to me, and kid you not, he said, boy, time for you to get a job. I'm tired of supporting you. Now, he gave me room and board for the last two years of my life at home, but he pretty much said, get a job because I'm not paying for anything else. So I had a car, I had to get my money for my own gas and clothes and take care of school stuff, and I was on my own. And a week after I turned 16, I went to Alpha Beta, which is a grocery store chain that no longer exists. But I walked in the boss and I said, hey, I want a job. And he said, what's your name? I said, Kurt. He says, nope, I can't hire you. Why? He says, I already have two Kurt's. I said, okay, whatever. He said, what's your middle name? William. Okay, Billy, I'll hire you. So for three years, I was called Bill. Very confusing. Because I'd hear Kurt, Kurt, clean up on aisle two. And it wasn't for me, it was I was Bill. But anyhow, that's, that has nothing to do with my point here. My point is, that I started working, and uh, in fact, during my high school, last two years of high school, I worked a lot. This is before they had laws against that kind of stuff. Uh, I would go in at least Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, work from four in the morning, a.m., to about eight or 8.30, and then go to school. Really good for your education. And, uh, and then I'd go to work at midnight, usually on, on uh, Saturday nights, because I got promoted to being a night stalker. So I went from box person, box boy, to night stalker, and that's what I did for years. And there was a guy that I worked on our night stocking crew, his name was Joe. And we called him Crazy Joe because he was wild. In fact, he looked a little bit like this. This is not a picture of Joe, but very similar. In fact, kind of looks like Seth, actually, before he got his haircut, <laughs> our youth pastor. But anyhow, Crazy Joe uh, hated 
I wish I could come up with a stronger word. Hated Christians, hated the church, and therefore hated me. And in my youth, I was pugnacious. I would get into arguments. I had this stupid idea that you could argue people into relationship with God, doesn't work. And so we'd have these arguments. And he'd often be working in the aisle next to me, and we'd have this conversation. We're stacking shelves, and, and we'd be talking about this, and he'd swear a blue streak and yell at me, and, and I'd yell back at him. And we have these, and at some point he gets so mad, we had these crates, these uh, racks that carry the boxes, and he'd go and just shake this thing. And I could hear it, because he was so angry with me. Joe was offended by Jesus and offended by his followers, by me. Jesus experienced the same thing. I don't have the time to unpack this for you, but I'll give you a couple of references. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who believes in me, uh, you know, uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus said, I'm it, I'm the guy, and the only way you get to relationship with God is through me. We hear that as Christians today. We go, oh, isn't that a nice verse? That is so cool. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That's so awesome. The Jews heard that and they go, you, that they were offended by it. What do you mean you're the way? Then no one can come to the Father except through you. They were grossly offended by that statement. Mark chapter eight, verse 34, Jesus said this. If you wanna follow me, take up, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And again, we hear that go, well, that's, that's, you know, that's a call, that's a radical call, but you know, what's the big deal? It's, that's not that offensive, oh my. The cross and Jesus, you know, we've got them in our building, we wear them on our, on our, around our necks, you know, we have cross tattoos, I've got one up there somewhere, cross tattoos. You know, we, we think crosses are cool, so we kind of promote the fact that we follow Jesus with our cross. Back in the day when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, it would be similar to saying, take up your electric chair and come follow me. It was not a cool thing. It was not something that they thought, oh, that's really awesome. I love that picture. I'm kidding you not, it was offensive to the Jews of Jesus' day. Nick could have easily been offended. Let's pick it up in John chapter three, verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Man is a lot uh, packed into that one verse. The Pharisees that he's a part of were very legalistic, they strictly kept the law of Moses. They weren't that big of group actually in Jerusalem, but they were very influential, very, very, very powerful, and generally very high regarded. He's not only a Pharisee, but he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which is the 71 member council. Basically, it's kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. They made all the rules and regulations, and, and uh, this guy, Nicodemus, is a Pharisee, and he's a part of the Sanhedrin, and he's basically on the who's who's list in Jerusalem. Everybody would have known this guy. He's got impeccable credentials and a lot of respect in that town. Here's what he did, though. Verse two, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if, they, if, if, if God was not with him. Nicodemus says, hey, I, I truly believe that you, you've got something going on here. I don't think Nicodemus is saying this with an ulterior motive. I think he literally is seriously saying, man, something about you I gotta figure out. But the fact that it says that he came at night under the cloak of darkness would imply that he didn't want to be recognized. Again, everybody in town would have known who Nicodemus is. And he didn't come in the middle of the day when there was people all around. He came at night to Jesus. And so he says, I think you're cool. I think you're good. God's with you. Verse three, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I love Jesus. I mean, this guy comes to him and says, hey, I think you're awesome. I know you're probably from God. You know, I, there's something going on here. Jesus doesn't say anything about that at all. 
He doesn't go, well, thanks for the attaboys. Nick, you know, oh, that's awesome that you like me. You know, I feel very affirmed in love right now. That's awesome. Thank you. You're right. You know, God is doing some great things in my life. He doesn't go there. He goes like this to Nicodemus, and he said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. What? Again, if I'm Nick, I'm going, what just happened here? We're gonna get to it in just a moment. John 3, 16 is the most famous verse probably on the planet. But John 3, verse three is actually the continental divide. It's the international dateline. It is the most important statement in this chapter. Yes, the love of God is awesome, we'll get to that. But this right here says, that this is, it is about being born again. How do we enter into the kingdom? Which is a really important question. That's the question. How do I enter into relation with God? Well, we've gotta be born again. Jesus says entering into the kingdom. He's not referring to an earthly realm, like the kingdom of Nepal or the kingdom of Luxembourg. He's referring to this rule and reign of God, entering relationship with God where he's the ruler. He's the, he's the one, he is our Lord. That's what he's referring to here. And he's talking about entering into relationship with God that can only come through this experience he called being born again. That's where the brand new life happens. See, when Jesus spoke of being born again, you need to understand this. You need to try to put yourself in Nicodemus's mind right now. The concept of rebirth as a prerequisite for entering into the kingdom was contrary to everything he believed. You could not say anything more offensive to a good Jew because in their mind, they're already there. Let's read on. Verse four, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Next like going, this doesn't even make sense. It's not possible. I'm an old guy. There's no way I'm, I'm going back into my mama's womb. Nick is stating the obvious, the impossibility, at least on a human level, of physical rebirth and the absurdity. That's his point is, this is just stupid because I'm a good Jew. You see, he already believed. You need to know this. He already believed that the Jewish, Jewish people were born from above that they already buy their birthright because they're sons and daughters of Abraham that they already had access into the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, you can't get there unless you do this, you're born again, Nick's going, time out. That is not, that's not what I believe. That's not what I've been taught. Jesus goes on, verse five, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Second time, that said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And again, the big idea here, just to kind of summarize, Jesus is saying, you need to be born again, and that is a work of God, not a work of human activity. In the context of being born, when you were born, you didn't have anything to do with that. It wasn't your labor, it was your mama's. It wasn't, you, you, do, you didn't have anything to do with conception or growing in your womb, it, it just, it, it, it happened. And that's why Jesus used this picture, it's not about human activity, human effort. You must be born again as a work of God's Holy Spirit. And that's the answer Jesus is saying to your sin problem. And again, this would have blown Nick's socks off. Jesus is saying to this guy, it's not about obeying the Torah. It's not about obeying the law or the oral traditions of the elders. It's not about being a great Pharisee or religious faithful guy or whatever. None of that matters when it comes to entering into the kingdom of God. Huge offense to the Jews. That's one of the reasons why they killed Jesus. No way, that's, that's not the way it goes. But Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, it's not about you. 
It's not about you becoming a religious leader or a pious teacher or even about being Jewish. Again, that very idea was terribly offensive to the Jewish leaders of the day. And again, why he got killed. Terribly offensive. It'd be like saying to an Idaho Republican that he believes in gun control. No. It's like, nah, you're just that's stupid. That's, that would have been Nicodemus' response. That's just not gonna happen. Stupid. But Jesus is making it clear. Salvation is all about relationship with God. Where we are born again, born into by the work of the Spirit, as we believe, our part is to believe in him. And that's where that radical rebirth happens. Nick needed a transformation of his mind, his thinking, of his heart, and literally of his life, his, his understanding. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Again, and I think Nicodemus is literally confused. I don't get it. How can this be? You, Jesus said, are Israel's teacher, and yet you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, third time, third time, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people, you Pharisees, you religious, self-righteous people, do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? This is a, a, a massive challenge to Nicodemus' perspective, to his paradigm. He's saying you and the religious leaders of today, you guys, of all people, should have figured this out. You should have embraced me, but you didn't. Verse 13, Jesus says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, don't have time to go there, but it's experience where Moses lifted up a snake. God told him to do so and saved the, the bacon of, of God's people. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Again, referring to the cross, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That everyone, Jesus said, who believes in me will have eternal life. And again, this is the first of three different lifted up statements that John makes, all three referring to the cross. So Jesus is having this encounter with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is perplexed, maybe, maybe a little offended, definitely confused, and it's like not adding up in his thinking. But what can we learn? We're, you know, Monday morning quarterback, so to speak, on this, looking back. What can we learn from this Nick at night chat that Jesus had with him? Well, here's the first thing. Ritual and religion are not enough to make one right with God. Ritual and religion are not, never, ever, never have been, never will be, enough to make one right with God. Without new birth, being born again. There is no life, no relationship with God. We cannot work our way into the family of God any more than you could work your way into the family you live in. It happens by faith. Nicodemus lived in the land of good works, of hard work, of proper pedigrees. It's all about who you were, what you did. And he thought, well, I'm a good and faithful Jew. I'm the son of Abraham, and that's all that really matters. And Jesus saying, nope. The best you can do, Nicodemus, will never get you there. Your good works don't work. Radical. World-altering, changing in terms of the way Nicodemus grew up and what he thought. Your good works don't work. We say this from time to time around here at East Point, that religiosity without relationship is worthless. Religiosity is worthless without relationship with God. It, it, all the good stuff we can do on the planet doesn't mean diddly if we don't have a relationship, if we're not born into relationship with him. Nicodemus knew the law. He'd studied the Torah. He knew the regulations. In fact, he prided himself on being who he was and doing what he did. And Jesus looks this guy in the eye and says, it's not enough. Nicodemus, it's not enough. You cannot get there by your own efforts. True then, true now. 
We cannot become fit, worthy, or ready for God based on our own efforts. There's no possibility of salvation by human effort or merit, none. Jesus taught that, and that's a, one of the foundational truths of our Christian faith. Religion, sadly, is based on people's efforts to reach God by doing good works, by being made right with God through what they can do by their own efforts. And that is in, entirely opposed to what we talk about, what Jesus talked about in terms of relationship. And what's sad is that there are a whole lot of people in our world, a lot of people. I had a conversation this last week with someone who, that believes this. Well, if I can just be good enough, we think the way Nicodemus thought, if I can just stay out of trouble, if I just do more right than wrong, if I, if I you know, try to do good works, if I, yeah, I screw up and I fail, but if I just do enough better good things, and when I get to the pearly gates and stand before, you know, St. Pete, and they'll weigh the scales, and hopefully there's more good than bad, and so they'll let me in. That's the way a whole lot of people on our planet today, and even in Jesus' day, viewed, Christ, viewed faith. That is, this thing, this relationship with God comes about by what we can do. But it's not about being good enough, never has been. What we have to do is admit, God, I could never, I could never get there on my own. It takes this death blow to our self-righteousness, this death blow to our pride. God, I could never do this. I might maybe, maybe, maybe for one day be able to pretty much be okay and do more good than bad. But over the long haul, I'm never gonna get there on my own. But there's, in fact, most religions in the world, I could probably say all, except for Christianity, believe it's about what you do that gets you there. Just meditate enough, you know, and you, you, may, you might find nirvana. Just, you know, do what you gotta do and do all the good things and, and maybe, you know, you'll, you'll be good enough and God will let you in. I've got a Mormon friend, his name's Doug, we went to high school together, and uh, Doug lives in Ohio today. And uh, over the years, we've kept contact and we've had many conversations about God, about faith, about religion. And Doug is a wonderful father, he's a hard worker, he's a great guy. And in fact, if you, you know, you probably live by some Mormons and they're, they're wonderful people. They really are, Doug was a great guy. But here's the truth, and Doug would tell you this, everything he does is in hope of somehow earning his salvation, earning his right to enter into heaven, or getting higher in heaven. That's everything he does. What he does, he does basically out of fear. If I could just do enough, if I can just work harder, and so their motivation is not the same as yours and mine. Let me explain something to you. We, I do believe in good works, but it's not like this. So, so often we think we're pushing a rock uphill, and if I can just keep doing this, and I can just, maybe I'll get to the top. That is not Christianity. Our relationship with God comes through being born again. What determines who has eternal life? It's not our works, our religious activity. It's all about belief and faith in Jesus. It's about relationship. Jesus said it this way, verse 15 again. Everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Everyone. So what I say to my friend Doug is, Doug, it's not about working it's not about getting there. Now, I do believe that works matter, but it's not about that. We work out of response to God. We, we, because of we, we, we are loved, because of what he's done for us, we do. But it's in response, not to somehow earn his favor. And Jesus so wanted Nicodemus to understand it's not about what you do or what you know, but who you know. It's not about what you do or what you know, but who you Jesus, with, I, I believe, great compassion and kindness in his eyes, more than we could probably even imagine. He said this next thing, which is very familiar to many of us, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I, again, I imagine with tenderness, and compassion, and deep care for Nicodemus, he said, Nick, I need you to understand. And it's the, 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 probably the most famous verse in the Bible, but it's also the best summary of the gospel. God loved you, loved me so much that he sent his very best, his one and only son. He made a way where there was no way. We could never get there on our own. We could never be good enough on our own. And so God said, I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna die for your sins, for the sins of the world. And our part then is to believe in him, to believe, to entrust our lives to him, to accept that gift of salvation. To believe in him is to, to accept his offer of grace and mercy and salvation so that we can have eternal life. We believe, we accept, we embrace what he has for us. I, um, I've got here a Starbucks gift card for 10 bucks. It's for real. Starbucks, $10 gift card to Starbucks. And I wanna ask you a question. Who believes here that I would give them this card? Who believes that I, I would give this card away? Who believes it? Who believes I will give you this card? Who believes that I will give you this card? Thank you, Jim, for believing. <laughs> See, belief is not, yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in a higher, higher power. Belief is I will entrust my life and then I will accept. I will take what's offered to me. God paid the penalty for your sins and my sins on the cross. Done deal. Sin paid for, period. Our part is to believe, to accept then what he's done for us. And so God is not ticked off at us. I need you to hear this. He loves us all, but our part, believing and accepting that love is the first step to new life. Believing and then accepting that love is the first step to experiencing it. That's how we get born again. See, the Jews believe that God loved them. Key word there meaning them. The idea of God loving the whole world was very, very difficult for them to swallow. In fact, their attitude towards everybody who was non-Jewish was really pretty ugly. Gentiles suck. Not, they didn't like us. They didn't like it, most of us. Mark's a Jewish, so he's liked. But most of us were not liked. We were not considered God's chosen people. Their attitude was, when, when, so when Jesus, you need to hear this. When Jesus said, God so loves the world, that's a radical, mind-blowing concept that completely would have been rejected by most Jews. It pushed buttons, and it had the potential for push, pushing uh, great buttons in Nick's heart. But whoever here refers to everyone. God loves the whole world, all people, all nations, every tribe and every tongue. And we also see in verse 17 that God's purpose in sending Jesus was not to condemn us, but to save us. And we miss this. Not only does God love us, and he sent his son to die for us, but his purpose in sending Jesus was not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to save you. The priority of God's purpose is to redeem the priority of God's purpose is not to condemn, but to save. And the irony here is that the Pharisees condemned Jesus and anyone and everyone else who didn't do it their way. The self-righteous, the considered the most righteous of his day would not have accepted this idea. Maybe you've noticed in our world that it's still typically true that self-righteous people are quick to condemn others. They are. In whatever faith, pick it. 
They're, the self-righteous, the ones who think they've got it all together, the ones so quickly to condemn others. Too often, and I'm just gonna own this, and if this offends you, well, we're in a series called Unoffendable, so listen. Too often, the church has been known for what and who we're against. Too often, the church, capital C, I hope it's not true of East Point, but too often, the church has been known for what or who we're against. The church is against gays. The church is against abortionists. The church is against those liberal left-wingers. And we rally and we, we boycott and we scream and we yell. And we do all sorts of things. But listen, if you've heard anything else I've said today, listen carefully to this. Jesus is not against people. Are you listening? Jesus is not against people. God didn't send Jesus to condemn, but to save, to rescue, to, and he sent him out of love. I'm gonna go on record publicly as your pastor from this platform and tell you what happened in Orlando this last week broke the heart of God. It broke his heart because he didn't come to condemn people. And I heard some television preachers, and I'm glad I'm in a series about being unoffendable because man, I was so mad, that said, well, it's God's judgment against those gay people. And I thought, oh God, please shut those guys up. Because God doesn't kill people. God killed his son so the people could live. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God didn't send people to condemn. Now, of course, of course, sin breaks his heart as well. I know, don't send me any emails. Of course it breaks God's heart. And we will never compromise truth on the altar of public opinion or for the sake of political, political correctness. They're not gonna go there. But listen, God is always for people no matter who they are or what they've done. That's him, that's his heart, that's, God is always for people, no matter who they are or what they've done. Jesus didn't come to condemn or to stone or reject those who are far from the Father. He came to save them and us because of love. And we, if we're gonna be like him, we have to have that same heart. It's not our job to condemn, to stone, to reject, but to love, to sacrifice our life so that they can be saved. Here's God's plan. I'll wrap this up. His plan is to reveal his love to you and me. God so loved the world. How did he show us that love? He sent his one and only son. That's his plan. He revealed his love. I love you. I love you more than you can possibly. I love you more than the life of my own son. I love you. And then our response to that is where this born again experience, this relationship begins. We have to believe and embrace, accept that love. We have to say yes to the gift of salvation, the free gift, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life. We accept it, yes, I'll take that Starbucks card. Yes, I'll take that gift. I embrace it, I accept it, I personalize it, I make it my own. And then, listen, this is so important. Then, from the inside out, we're transformed into the image of Jesus. People tell me all the time, well, I might become a Christ follower someday when I get my act together. As soon as I deal with this problem, as soon as I stop having this addictive problem or, or that behavior problem, or as soon as I stop filling a blank, then maybe I might become a Christ follower. And I say, no, you're perfect in your brokenness. That's, you're exactly who Jesus came for. We don't get it all fixed and then come, we come broken. We respond to the love of God. God loves us, we respond to that love, and then when we're born again, that love takes the Holy Spirit. God lives in us, and then transforms us from the inside out so that we become then more and more like him. One last story and I'm done. I've got a guy that used to go to our church years ago in Portland, 
His name's Gus. And uh, Gus's story is pretty tragic. Grew up in a broken home, got involved in drugs, messed up, dropped out of high school. I got a job as a machinist, I think, somewhere. I'm not sure what he was doing. But then he had um, sex as a 21, 22-year-old with a 17-year-old girl and got arrested for statutory rape and went to prison. I met Gus years later. I don't remember six, seven, eight, nine years. I honestly don't remember how many years he was in jail. But in jail, he met some Christians. And I'm hearing his story years later. He met some Christians. But as he met them, he didn't have a conversion experience. It wasn't a jailhouse conversion for him. But the, what he said to me was, the Christians in prison were the first ones to ever accept me for who I was. They're the first ones to ever accept me. Got out of prison, not sure what to do, felt drawn. I know it was God, drawn to, to pursue some answer. Showed up in the back of our church, sat in the back, Week after week, I'd see this guy, he came in late, left early, came in late, left early. I never could get to him. Finally, one day, I, I, I beat him to the punch. I had actually a worship guy do the closing prayer, and I went around to the back so that during the prayer, when he's trying to escape, I could cut him off. And I said, dude, I've been seeing you for weeks here. And he's like, oh. I said, my name's Kurt, what's your name? He said, Gus. I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. And he looks down, and I'll never forget this look, the shame, the guy, he looks down, and he goes, I don't think you really want me here. Oh, yeah, Gus, I really do. No, if you knew my story, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't want me here. I said, Gus, you're exactly the kind of guy we want here. And, and then he began to tell me his story. Addic addiction to drugs, all sorts of sexual sin, got arrested for statutory rape, time in prison. He told me his story, and, and, and now he's crying. He says, I'm, really, I'm so sorry. And what he was saying is, I'm sorry I showed up. And I'm now bawling, and I grabbed him and gave him this big old slobbery hug, and I'm weeping, and he's weeping. I said, Gus, I said in his ears, I'm hugging him, dude, you're why we're here. You're why Jesus came. That began something in his life that brought him to a point several months later where he actually gave his life to Jesus and became a Christ follower. And watching that guy... watching God transform him and his belief from, I can never be good enough, I can never get there on my own. God doesn't want me to understand how much God loved him. That's why I do what I do. A couple years later, Gus died of cancer and he's in heaven waiting for me. We're gonna party together someday for a long time. Church tradition tells us that Nicodemus became a Christ follower. We don't know. It doesn't say specifically in the Bible what happened to Nick. What we do know, you go to John 19, check it out later, is that it's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who went to get the body of Jesus and to take care of him, to bury him. You probably wouldn't do that unless you had a relationship, unless you believed. He was going public at that moment. It's in the Bible. Everybody knew. Uh, did you see a Joe and Nick? What the heck are they doing? I believe that both of them, and I believe Nicodemus gave his life to Jesus, and he's waiting for us too. But Nicodemus had to come to a point where he believed and he accepted, embraced what God did for him. What about you? All right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us. I will never, ever, ever, ever get tired of saying that. Thank you for sending your son to pay the penalty for our sin, to make a way where there was no way but we could never get there on our own, and you knew that. Jesus, you came, and you, you gave it all up for us. You sacrificed your very life 
so that we could be in relationship with the Father forever. And I pray, Lord, I pray for those that are sitting in this room right now or watching online who have been confused by their religious background that they just have to do enough and get it all cleaned up and take care of this and that and mind their P's and Q's and then they might make it. God, would you today just blow that lie up because that's a lie from the pit of hell. We can never be good enough. But in the place of that lie, then, Lord, then let the truth settle deeply into their soul, deeply into their psyche, into their mind, into their hearts, that you, you made it possible for us to be good in you, because of you, through you. And all you ask us to do is say yes, to embrace the cross, to believe and accept. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you have not yet started your life as Christ follower. Maybe you thought it was about being religious and today for the first time you're like, wow, nobody ever told me it was about relationship and that I could never get there on my own. I hope you heard that. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, if that's true, if that's what it means, if I, if I just need to accept the gift, then today I'm ready to do that. I know you're thinking, it sounds a little too easy. It's easy for us because it was hard for Jesus. And it's the beginning. We enter into this relationship with God. We're born again, like I said, then he transforms us from the inside out. It's this journey we walk on from here to eternity. But if you're here today and you're ready to say yes, to accept the gift, to walk up and take the card, so to speak, then I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you if this is what you want, whether you're here in this room or watching online, if this is your heart, just make this prayer yours right now. Father, I confess to you that I need a Savior. I get it. I can never be good enough on my own. So I surrender my way, my life to you. And I today, this Father's Day 2016, I embrace the gift. I believe, I accept the free gift of salvation, the free gift of your forgiveness, the free gift of your mercy and your grace in my life. It seems it sounds just too good to be true, but God, I believe. Today, I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. And right here, right now, I confess my love for you. And I'm giving it all up for you because you gave it all up for me. Thank you, Lord. And if you're here today and that's you, if you're watching online, would you just in your own way say, yep, God, that's my prayer. That's my heart. The Bible says that instant, that instant you do, you become his child forever. You believe, you have accepted, you're born again into relationship with God. It's the beginning of a journey. It's not the end, but it's God in you, living in you now because of what you surrendered to him. Lord, seal that truth in the hearts of those making that decision. But help us all leave here today grateful that when we could never do it on our own, you did it for us. Remind us of that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. That opening song we did today has become one of my favorites. And it's a song, a declaration. It's a song of God's love. Let's sing it together, and then I'm going to come back and wrap it up. I love that song, and I love the truth. It's God's love that has awakened us to the reality of his great compassion for us. And when we were far from him and broken and messed up, God says, you're the one I came for. Today, if you began your life's Christ follower, if you began your journey of being awakened to the reality of his love for you and the mercy and the grace and the gift that he's offered you, I encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, tell somebody. Let them know. You're gonna make their Father's Day. Come tell me. We wanna pray with you. 
And then on the tables by the doors, you go, I've got a gift bag for you. It's got a Bible, some material. You're starting to walk with Jesus. Pick one of these up. Please take them home with you. And then I ask you to text us or email us at this, these uh, uh, places right here that's on the screen because we want to connect with you. We want to help you. This is the beginning of a journey and we want to walk with you in this journey. So please connect with us as well. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room today. If you want to remember the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice he made of love for you, then stop and take communion today before you go. And here's my hope, here's my prayer for you. Go, dads especially, enjoy Father's Day, but remember the great love of the Father. God bless you guys. See you next week.